0: Your hands and feet begin to tingle until they finally go numb, and even though you can still feel them, you can no longer control them. Your heart rate begins to slow, and your breathing becomes more and more shallow. Minutes seem like hours as your mind screams and your body does not respond. You watch as your loved ones find you and call 911. The paramedics arrive and they work on you, and again you scream in your mind but no one can hear you. You can see the black body bag as they roll you into it and zip it across your face. But you can't even control the tears that are locked inside your eyes. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters, both ancient and modern. Today we are discussing the Haitian zombie, Is it a monster, or was it created by one? This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Roger walked down the long hallway to the elevator. He pushed the button and watched the doors as they slid open. Once inside, he pushed the button that read ground floor. He sighed and yawned, looking up at the lights as he felt himself begin to descend. It had been a long day and a stressful week. He had been working late every evening for days. If, of course, work is what you would call it. It had been more like hiding. Several months earlier, Roger had met a young woman named Samantha. She had caught him off guard and captivated him in a way he couldn't comprehend. He started seeing her on a regular basis, and before long, their friendship turned into romance. Roger constantly felt elated, yet horrible at the same time. Spending time with Samantha and then going home to his trusting, loving wife was too much to bear. So, he had decided to tell his wife the truth. And prepare to be with Samantha. Once he mustered the courage, the damage was far worse than he could imagine. His wife screamed how much she hated him, all the years of hard work and sacrifice, only to have it ruined because of his childish crush. Roger had never seen his wife that angry. Until that point, she had always been so sweet and had loved him so well. Since then, things had become more difficult. Neither of them could move out of the house until they figured out where to go. So he had to live with this shell of a woman that he used to know. Watching her lose weight and become withdrawn and be so hateful was like mourning after someone had died. Knowing that he had been the one to destroy her in such a way was more than he could take. So instead of trying to find a way to help her or fix the situation he had created, Roger chose to sit at work and stare at his computer screen. Like a coward, he would stay there for two or even three hours longer than necessary at times. Also, tonight was different than most. He hadn't been talking to Samantha quite as much since the split with his wife. It just didn't seem right to go off and have a happy life while Melinda sat at home, miserable. Roger had started to miss his wife dearly. He missed her smile and the constant love and caring. He felt as though the world was somehow less without her. In the deepest part of his mind, Roger wanted to fix his relationship with Melinda, though he knew it would be too much to ask. He decided on the way home that no matter what, he would break up with Samantha, apologize to Melinda, and whatever happened to him after that would be his own doing. He pulled out his phone and saw several texts from Samantha that he hadn't answered. He opened them up and messaged back. He told her he just couldn't do it anymore and that he was sorry. Roger watched as the text bubbles kept going and going after Samantha had read his text. He assumed she was going to let him have it, but to his surprise, it simply read, no problem, nothing to be sorry about, do whatever you want. Roger knew that it most likely wasn't over. He didn't respond and was just ready to go home and tell his wife. Once he pulled into the driveway, Roger took a deep breath. He grabbed his things and started walking to the front door. He was happy with the decisions he had made, but reluctant to fully carry through with them. The uncertainty, if he was doing the right thing, mixed with the fact that it would all be permanent either way was almost intolerable. He walked through the front door and yelled for his wife. Melinda, I have something to talk to you about. She slowly walked around the corner to the kitchen and simply said, What? Roger quickly explained what he had done and told her how he felt. She stood and stared at him with no feeling in her eyes. Once he said all he knew to say, he waited to hear her response. She hesitated for a moment and said, Sounds like you got it all figured out. I've found a new place, and I'll be gone by the end of the week. Roger just gazed at her, looking to see if he could find a hint of any feeling in her at all. There was nothing as she turned around and walked away. Roger sat feeling defeated. It was all his fault, and he had no right to expect anything from anyone. He checked his phone, and he hadn't gotten any more messages. So he went to lay down and forced himself to fall asleep. The next morning, he woke to his phone going off. He had slept late. When he checked the time, he had about five minutes to get to work. For the first time in three years, Roger decided to call in. He just didn't have the energy to deal with it. He slowly got up and made his way to the kitchen. Usually, Melinda would already be in there with coffee made. Though there was no sign of her, he started a pot of his own noticing her car was gone through the window over the sink. Strange as it was, it truly wasn't shocking that she would be out on her own, figuring out her new life that would not include Roger. So he drank his coffee and went for a shower. Once he was mostly dressed and ready for what the day may hold, he got a text. It was from Samantha. She was inviting him to meet her to talk about his decision. Roger thought for a moment and decided it couldn't hurt anything. His marriage was over even if he tried to make things right. He got in his truck and drove to the small diner a few towns over where Samantha and he would usually meet up for breakfast. He walked through the old push doors and there she was, smiling beautifully as always. She greeted him with a hug and then began asking him if she had done something wrong, if there had been something she didn't know about. Roger took a deep breath and began explaining that the relationship they had shared, though beautiful as it felt, was wrong. He told her that they couldn't start anything born from the ashes of a broken marriage. He felt that it just wasn't right, and as such, it would never last. Samantha's expression changed from perky and sweet to a look Roger had never seen her portray before. She asked him, So if it hasn't even started yet, what have we been doing this whole time? And then she added, I guess it was just something to cure the boredom of being married, right? Along with a few other things, she told him it seemed strange that telling his wife only after he decided it was best for him had shown his true colors. Roger closed his eyes, sipped his coffee, and stood up. He knew it was going to get ugly, but he wasn't ready for this part yet. He told Samantha that he was sorry, and if he could change it all, he would. Samantha stood up, pulled him in for a close hug, and whispered, I already know you're sorry. Now I want your remorse. Roger backed up, pulling out of her grasp. She had a strange, hateful grin, as he said, "'Okay, that's enough. I'm out of here.'" As he walked quickly from the diner to his truck, Roger yanked out his phone and began trying to find Samantha's phone number so he could block it. As he scrolled through the names, he got a quick, sharp pain in his chest, followed by another. He took a deep breath but felt like he couldn't get any air. The next pain felt like something was crushing his chest. He stumbled and fell to the ground. Gasping, he was now in full panic. Roger knew he was having a heart attack, but didn't think it was possible. People began running over and asking him if he was all right. He asked if they would call an ambulance. Someone, he wasn't sure who, was on the phone. Roger could hear them giving the address and saying, I think he's having a heart attack. It was then that he felt someone grab his shoulder. He could smell Samantha's perfume, and then he heard her soft, whispered voice. I want your pain, not your remorse. With that, he heard someone ask her, do you know him? Samantha replied, no, he's just some guy that was hitting on me. With that, he could hear her heels clicking the asphalt as she walked away.
1: With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
0: Did you know that zombies are real? Not only do they exist, but they have been around for a very long time. The word zombie comes from a word that means spirit in the voodoo religions of Haiti and the African diaspora. Though the two words sound the same, they are spelled differently. In Haiti, there is a law that is still in effect in the criminal code that dates back to 1883. The law says that it is illegal to try to turn someone into a zombie. In Haitian folklore, a zombie is believed to be an animated corpse with lack of awareness or free will whose soul is said to be imprisoned and possessed by magical means. The zombie's body is controlled by its master, who is usually the one who created them. The symbolism of slavery in this concept is hard to ignore, enlightening how European slave drivers used the fear of zombification amongst Haitian people, the fear of being trapped in their enslaved bodies forever to discourage suicide amongst the workforces. Despite France being the first country to abolish slavery, French plantation owners worked their African slaves so hard, the rate of death of slaves at Haiti's Saint-Domingue plantations was higher than anywhere else in the Western Hemisphere. Fictional horror was born from real-life horror. So how does a victim turn into a zombie? Who carries out the ritual? And how is voodoo involved in zombification? What happens after one becomes a zombie both physically and psychologically? One of the most fascinating and intricate processes in Haitian voodoo is zombification. As part of the voodoo religion, the bokors, or Haitian voodoo sorcerers, have the power to create and control zombies. The exact methods and combination of ingredients vary, but according to the Haitian people, they follow the same general pattern. Some of the zombification processes use blood and hair from their victims in addition to using voodoo dolls. Other processes involve a carefully prepared mixture of zombie powder or powder strike, made of mystical herbs, human remains, and animal parts. The ways that this mixture is administered also varies from ingestion, injection, or even through a blow dart. Once the victim has received a dose of this zombie potion, it begins to take effect on the body. The victim becomes motionless and unable to control or move their body. Their heartbeat becomes incredibly faint and their breathing is drastically reduced within minutes, causing the victim to appear dead. While in this death-like state, the victim is fully aware of their surroundings but cannot express themselves. The victim is eventually taken to the hospital and declared dead by a doctor after finding no signs of life. In Haiti, due to the heat and lack of refrigeration, the body is buried in a grave soon after death, causing the body to decay rapidly. After the body is buried, the Bokor sneaks to the grave and digs up the body. This is done within eight hours of the burial, otherwise the victim will die of asphyxiation and be useless. Next, the bokor performs an ancient voodoo rite where he or she captures the victim's ti which is the part of the soul directly connected to the individual. This can be done by capturing it within seven days following the death, while it is believed to still be hovering above the corpse, or by spreading poisons in the form of a cross on the threshold of the victim's doorway. This causes a split in the spiritual parts of the victim and produces two complementary types of zombies the spirit zombie, and the zombie of the flesh. After this is done, the bokor traps the spirit zombie part of the soul in a small clay jar or container and replaces it with a loa, a spirit that the bokor controls. The container is then hidden in a secret place known only to the bokor and is wrapped in a piece of the victim's clothing or some other personal possession. After a day or two, the bokor then administers a hallucinogenic mixture called the zombie cucumber that revives the victim and is used to keep the zombie in a state of submissive confusion. In this state, the zombie cannot speak, has no memory, and no longer resembles its past human personality. As a result, the zombie is easy to control, and the bokor can use the zombie as a slave for farm labor and construction work. The zombies are completely under the rule of the bokor that made them and consequently work as slaves until the bokor dies. Once they are released from their slave labor, the zombies can finally return to their home village or place of burial to die. A major concern in Haitian folklore concerning zombies is the act of feeding salt to a zombie. While zombies aren't usually very dangerous, giving them salt will return their senses and restore their personality. This will lead the zombies to attack the Bokor who created them or to return to their place of burial for their final death. Though it's rare, there are several credible reports in medical journals of people using these compounds to induce paralysis in people, then revive them from the grave. A 1997 article in the British medical journal The Lancet describes three verifiable accounts of zombies. In one case, a Haitian woman who appeared to be dead was buried in a family tomb, only to reappear three years later. An investigation revealed that her tomb was filled with stones, and her parents agreed to admit her to a local hospital. In another well-documented case, a Haitian man named Clervius Narcissi entered a local hospital with severe respiratory problems in 1962. After he slipped into a coma, Narcissi was declared dead and was buried shortly thereafter. But 18 years later, a man walked up to Angelina Narcissi in a village marketplace, insisting she was his sister. Doctors, townspeople, and family members all identified him as Clavius Narcissi, who claimed he had been buried alive, then dug up and put to work on a distant sugar plantation. The ancient Greeks may have been the first civilization terrorized by fear of the undead, Archaeologists have unearthed many ancient graves which contained skeletons pinned down by rocks and other heavy objects, assumedly to prevent the dead bodies from reanimating or coming back to life. According to the Undead 18th Century by Linda Troost, zombies appeared in literature as far back as 1697 and were described as spirits or ghosts, not cannibalistic fiends. They first appeared on film in 1932, with the release of White Zombie, a Bela Lugosi horror film. It wasn't until 1968 that zombies acquired a cult following of their own, with the release of Night of the Living Dead, directed by George Romero. Over the next 15 years, Romero directed two more zombie films, Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. As special effects technology improved with each film, the zombies appeared more gruesome and realistic. From the 1980s on, dozens of zombie films were made. Even Scooby-Doo battled zombies in the 1998 film Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. And the 2013 release of World War Z starring Brad Pitt brought zombie culture to a disturbing new level. Not surprisingly, television jumped on the zombie bandwagon with shows like iZombie and Helix but no zombies ever terrified more television viewers than those of The Walking Dead. Each show features a post-apocalyptic zombie-feeding frenzy that leaves fans horrified yet unable to look away. Today, zombies are almost always linked with the end of the world via the zombie apocalypse, a global pandemic that turns most of the human population into beasts ravenous for the flesh of their own kind. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is among the organizations that have sought to capitalize on the American appetite for all things zombie. In 2012, the CDC raised some eyebrows when it unveiled a page on its website devoted to zombie preparedness. On the page, the CDC's director of the Office of Public Health Preparedness and Response, Dr. Ali Khan, notes, If you are generally well-equipped to deal with a zombie apocalypse, You will be prepared for a hurricane, pandemic, earthquake, or terrorist attack. The site was so popular that it crashed when it was launched. Roger gasped for one last breath before he lost consciousness. When he awoke, he was on a hospital bed and the people around him were moving frantically. He could hear them saying, he's gone, we lost him. Roger tried to speak up but could not move his mouth. He tried to move to stand up, but his body wouldn't respond. Though he couldn't move even an inch, he could feel the chill in the air. He could see, but couldn't turn his head. There was a large double-globed lighting fixture in the ceiling. It glared right in his eyes. The pain was almost unbearable as he couldn't blink much less close his eyelids. He began to panic once again, because he could barely breathe enough to feel satisfied with air. He wanted to take a big gulping breath, but had no control to do so. Roger heard someone coming. They walked into the room and began removing whatever instruments he was hooked to. The small sticky things were yanked from his chest in no ritual fashion. It stung fiercely as he tried to yell in protest. Then the IV was pulled out, and that left him wanting to scream. He heard a male's voice say, Poor bastard. Then a sheet was thrown over his face. Roger felt the bed start to move. That's when the confusion started to lift. These people believed he was dead. A shock of pain and sickness ran right through the middle of his stomach. Surely he was wrong. It must be a nightmare or maybe he was just panicking out of fear. The bed he was on was pushed into an elevator. It didn't stop for what felt like an eternity. He could tell he was going down. That's a long way down, he thought to himself. The elevator finally stopped, and he heard the ding as the door opened. A female voice said, Just put it over there by the other one, John. The man's voice came back with, Alright, Sam, I guess no rest for the wicked, huh? She giggled lightly and said at least there's job security. Then she asked what he had brought her. The man replied, Male in his late thirties, heart attack as best as anyone can tell. The female laughed and said, I'll be the judge of that. The male laughed again and said, I guess you will. Roger was trying like hell to move or breathe anything as a signal that he was in fact still alive. The room he had been brought to was much colder than the last and it had a strange smell, like a very strong cleaner had been used in it. It occurred to him what the woman had said, that she would be the judge of what happened to him. Roger suddenly realized that he was in an autopsy room. Oh Jesus, no! He thought he could feel the surgical still as it cut through his flesh, Every bit of it, right up until he died, from blood loss or shock, whichever came first. If he could cry, Roger would be tearing up at the thought of it. As he frantically combed his thoughts, trying to think of what to do, something came to him. The voice of the lady in the room, it was very familiar. The man who had brought him in here had called her Sam. Short for Samantha... About that time the sheet was pulled from his face, and he heard, Surprise! It was as he had feared. Staring into his burning eyes was the face of his ex-lover, a sneering smile on her face. She asked, How are you doing? And let out a horrible laugh. She looked straight down at him and said, I guess you've been dying to see me with a giddy flirtatious tone. She then continued with pointing out the fact that he must have so many questions. Samantha apologized for lying about her age and the fact that she had a doctorate. She told him her family had been in the field of medicine for generations. She rambled on with her explanation while gathering her instruments for his autopsy as she told him that her grandparents had come from Haiti that her grandmother practiced a totally different kind of medicine. Apparently a book had been passed down to Samantha by her grandparents. She said there were so many interesting things in it, but there was one thing she had been told about by her father that she had always wanted to try. She asked Roger if he had ever heard of a zombie. Not the ones like in the movies, but the kind that are a living person that appears to be dead. She smiled once again and said, Well, I suppose you know exactly what I'm talking about now. She commented on how nice it was to have him listen to her for once, instead of going on about his job or his wife problems, bitching about how hard it was to balance the affair and how he is risking everything. She told him even if she had wanted to tell him the truth, she never got a chance to speak to do so. Roger was listening to her, realizing that she was right. But he couldn't speak to apologize. All he could do was lay there and hope this would be the end of a prank. A lesson she was teaching him. Maybe in a few more minutes she would give him an injection of some sort that would give him back the ability to move. Roger was thinking how he would get up and leave and never tell anyone. He would just be glad to be alive. Samantha then explained she had originally planned this for his wife so that he could move on believing she had died of natural causes. Afterward, at some point, she would tell him who she was and what she does because then Roger would have had to listen and care about her and only her. But he had treated her like trash, got what he wanted and walked away. Samantha admitted she knew then what had to be done. She jokingly asked Roger what she should do with him now. She picked up a scalpel and said in a disgustingly smug voice, I'm going to go slow, but I can't promise it will be easy. To Roger's dismay, she told him she had no idea how to fix the paralyzed state he was in. She hadn't bothered with that part. She said if she could get away with it, she would just leave him like he was let him spend the rest of his days staring into space, lost in his thoughts. She then said, I know how to make this fun for both of us. She picked up the scalpel, laughed, and began cutting Roger's chest. As she slowly slid the blade through his flesh, it ignited every nerve in his body. In his mind, Roger was writhing in pain, but his body lay still and quiet as the doctor did her work. She then told him it had to look like she had done a real autopsy, so it might take a while. She noted the thick stitches would feel amazing. Roger was fortunate enough that he passed out way before she had finished. The next several hours he had come to only for moments at a time. He would hear people talking from time to time, some about the unfortunate parts of dying young, Others were talking about what they were doing later that day, as if nothing had happened. Roger would try to make even a finger move, but he couldn't even manage to get a good breath. Then he would feel the pain in the cuts on his chest and the back of his head. Samantha had, as far as he could tell, tore him apart. As he began to fade out of consciousness again, he heard a voice that almost snapped him to his full senses. It was his wife. She was standing over him, eyes full of tears, talking. She was telling him how sorry she was, and that if she had another chance she would try again with him. He then heard a voice he didn't expect. It was Samantha, consoling his wife, telling her everything would be okay. A few minutes later he heard Samantha's whispered voice close to his ear. She told him, that his wife and her were going to be the best friends. Something shook and the noise in the air got muffled. Roger was trying to make out what was happening, but to his horror, figured it out quickly. He was in a casket and they had closed the lid. He felt himself begin to move once more. He could hear a muffled voice say, take it down to the furnace. As he screamed in his mind, Pushing himself to move, he felt the casket pick up and sit back down. He could feel a vibration underneath him like he was on a conveyor. As smoke began to fill the box that Roger was in, his pinky finger finally moved. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts such as Unexplained Encounters and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we discuss The Cthulhu, a fictional godlike monstrosity invented by 20th century horror writer H.P. Lovecraft. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.